Hi, I'm Roger Blackmore. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis Church on Long Island in New York. Thanks for downloading our podcast. I hope it's a blessing to you. If you want to learn a bit more about our church, then check out our website, genesisli.com. And of course, if you live within traveling distance of us, we'd love to see you in person on Sunday morning, worshiping with us. So here's today's message. Enjoy. Um, <clears throat> just want to say a few words about Roger because we have a little bit of history. That, uh, well, we met when Roger and Jill moved over uh, from Scotland. And uh, it was a, just a tremendous uh, friendship that's developed over the years. But I want to say this about Roger. Roger, and nothing I'm going to say you don't know already. Uh, He's a great pastor, and he cares for his people. He's a visionary, so you can't keep a guy like that down, all right? Uh, he has a great sense of humor, and uh, I actually spoke with him for a few minutes this morning. I said, what do you want me to tell the people? And he said, just tell them I'll be back. Yeah. And what came to mind when he said that is, Arnold Schwarzenegger said that once <laughs> in a movie. And boy, did he come back. <laughs> so, Roger, if you're watching this morning, we love you. You got a church that loves you, and um, we just uh, want to know, want you to know that we care so much for you. Good. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, um, this is Memorial Weekend, and um, during Memorial Weekend, we kind of honor and celebrate those who have given their lives for the freedoms that we share in this country. And so if you uh, know someone, and I'm sure you do, or you got a family member, whatever, that's given their life in service, we just are so appreciative of what they've done. Because the freedoms that we experience and and share with every day are because somebody paid a price. So uh, we honor our fallen soldiers today. Well, we're in a series called Life Verses, Words for the Journey. And... um, when I saw Roger on, on uh, uh, third Wednesday, he, uh, he asked me to, to share it today, and I appreciate that, and I, it kind of is a privilege to be here. It's always an honor to, to come back here. And this is a great, great series. I mean, we all have these sayings in life that are interesting, and maybe a model that we have or a, uh, that we live by, a, a key piece of advice or a saying that maybe your parents passed on to you, you know, and uh, it's helped us sometimes through situations. I actually looked up a, a couple of, of uh, say, sayings this morning. Uh, remember, as far as anyone knows, we're still a normal family. I used to think I was indecisive, but now I'm not sure. <laughs> Life is short. Smile while you still have teeth. <laughs> I don't trust children. They're here to replace us. <laughs> and I know my father-in-law, he's, um, when he had something to do, or, or he had a project to do, he always used to say, it's time to make the donuts. You got to get up and do it. So we're in a, a situation where we're looking at life verses, and choosing one can be uh, quite a challenge. There's over 31,000 verses in, in the Bible. So to, to find a life verse, it, it can be difficult sometimes. And for Christians, the term life verses a verse or a portion of scripture uh, from the Bible that really speaks to you. It speaks to your heart, and it's a, it, is, it, it speaks to you in a very profound and personal way. 
And when you read these verses or you hear them uh, quoted or you think about them in your mind, it captures some, in some ways how you live your life, how you define your faith and work, and um, actually helps lead in some of the decisions that we make each day. It's a verse in the Bible that touches you personally and really awakens your spirit and your belief in God and, your love that he, and the love that he has for you. These verses sometimes can be recognized, verses that everyone would be aware of or committed to memory, some like Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you. That's a great life verse. John 3, 16, Philippians 4, 13. Or they can be obscure kind of verses that, um, you know, it would take uh, some research for someone else to find that in the Bible and to read it in its context. Now, the first step in choosing a life verse, and maybe you don't have one yet, maybe God's doing something in your life, or maybe he wants to add one to your, to your repertoire, so to speak. It begins by opening and reading the Bible. And as you do that, God begins to speak to you. Or maybe there's a verse that you hear in a sermon or a teaching that you, just clicks with you, and it like, just uh, really uh, resounds with you and, and you, and you embrace that. It's a verse that jumps out to you and creates a, very peaceful feeling within uh, and may create an awareness of, of, of God's provision for you, may cause you to change in your thinking and your lifestyle. So what I want to encourage you to do, if you don't have a life verse today, if you feel like God is speaking to you and, and showing you one, I want to encourage you to research that verse. Read the verse in its context, how, when, it, when it was written, how it was written. Learn about the person that wrote the verse what the situation was, what the message was that was being conveyed in that verse. Because what you don't want to do is you want to take a verse out of context. You want to place a kind of a less accurate meaning on that verse than it really is. Let me give you an example this morning. Many people have chosen Philippians 4.13, and that's an awesome verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, taken out of context, this verse would mean nothing can get in my way because God wouldn't allow it. And he gives me strength to overcome everything and everyone. In other words, I become like this superhero. And the emphasis can be on I, instead of being on, in Christ, who gives me strength. And in the context of that verse, the Apostle Paul said before the verse, he knew how it, what it was or what it meant to go through difficulty and trials and hard times. And he knew how to experience blessing and favor in his life. And he was showing that he was able to go through those difficult times and those times of blessing and favor, knowing and relying on God's strength. And it was solely in Christ's strength that he stood. So I have a personal verse this morning. And this verse came to me um, when I was very early on in my Christian walk. As a matter of fact, I was at a one-day retreat, and we were encouraged and, and kind of taught to pick a life verse out, something that was going to, God was going to speak to you through that was going to carry you through your life, and it was going to mean something to you. And so I began to ask God, God, give me a verse, you know, and, and um, I finally settled on one. And I want to tell you something. This verse has been with me from, uh, well, November 15th of this year. It'll be 45 years that I've been a Christian. That's a long time. And I want to tell you something. This verse has carried me through some many difficult times. And the verse that I settled on is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. 
Now, I learned it in the, in the King James Version because that's all we read at the time. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so when I began to work with teenagers, the King James Version wasn't working. All right? And I went on to the NIV. And it says in the NIV, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and faint not. Now, the 40th chapter of Isaiah is a really pivotal chapter in that book. And Isaiah in itself, the whole book has been likened to almost like a mini model of what the whole Bible is, is the way it's formatted. In the Old Testament, there's 39 books, and uh, they're, they're, those 39 books are very different from the rest of the Bible. And um, there's a theme that runs through those 39 books. But then we come to, uh, and we, if you look at the 39 books in, in the beginning of Isaiah, you'll see a theme that runs through there. And that's a theme of, you know, God trying to bring his people back. He's correcting them. He's, he's, he's working in their lives. He's, he's put them in a very awkward situation. But then in chapter 40, the grief ends and the glory begins. Chapters 1 through 39 focus on God's judgment on Israel and, and other nations. But as we look at chapter 40 through 66, we see a shift in thought there. It's God's desire to bring his people a new era of peace and comfort. The sad days are over. God is ready to comfort his people. Matter of fact, that chapter starts out in verse 1. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Because what was happening is instead of praising God, the nation was complaining to him. They acted as though he didn't know their situation. He didn't know uh, what was going on in their lives. He had no concern for them. And instead of seeing now an open door, the road was different before them. The Jews were now focusing and complaining. They didn't have enough strength for the journey. God was asking him to do something impossible. In verse 29, that, 27 of that chapter says, they were weak because they felt like a forgotten people. Verse 28 indicates that uh, there were the ones who they had felt forgotten and God's strength and understanding was not there for them. They were weak because they felt like a fainting people. And the prophet Isaiah is pointing them to a God who does not faint, but rather gives power and strength to those who are failing. Have you, have you ever felt forgotten, faint, weary, that God doesn't even know who you are or what your situation is? Maybe you felt abandoned or forgotten. When life is tiring, when you're struggling uh, with sin, when your family members aren't believers, when the bills aren't paid, when school's difficult, when work's exhausting, when your health is failing, when your loved ones are hurt, when the future's uncertain, and when a good friend leaves you, it's easy to get discouraged. Discouragement is a thief. It steals your vitality, your zeal, your joy, your peace, and your contentment. And if discouragement is allowed to hang around long enough, it brings some friends along. Fatigue, hopelessness, despair, depression, doubt, and bitterness. 
Sometimes discouragement can be so strong that you don't feel like you want to continue to go on. Discouragement is dissatisfaction with the past, distaste for the present, and distrust for the future. And the result of discouragement, it's caused us to be blind. We can't see past the moment that we're in. It could be an unawareness of the presence of God, no hope, feeling hopeless. And Isaiah 41, 40, 31 comes along and says that those that hope in the Lord, hope or wait, they're kind of interchangeable depending on what translation you're reading from, but it means to bind together by a twisting. If you ever look at a rope, you'll notice that a rope... Um, is very interesting in its construction. Now, a single strand in that rope is not very strong. But when you take those single strands and you begin to twist them and, and bind them together, they make a cord. And then you take those cords and you twist them around each other. And eventually you have this very strong piece of rope. It started out as one piece. But as it intertwined itself and twisted itself together, it became strong. I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of trying to remove ivy from a tree or a building. Ivy's interesting because by itself, it's just an earthbound plant, but it has this desire to ascend, to go higher, but it doesn't have the ability in itself to do that. So what it does is it finds something solid to attach itself to, and then it begins to climb. And you know, I, I, I've, over, over the years, I've had the opportunity to remove vine from brick buildings and from trees. And it's hard sometimes to get it off because it just doesn't want to let go. Now, the ivy has the desire, but it doesn't have the strength. And that's the concept that we're looking at today, waiting and hoping. It's not just merely sitting around. I can say I'm waiting on God, and I can just sit down and say, you know what, God, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to wait. I'm going to do nothing. I'm just going to wait. And in some regards, that's important, but waiting on God is not a laziness. It's waiting on God is not, uh, I got to sleep to kind of escape my problems. Waiting on God is not abandoning any effort. Waiting on God means that I have the attitude and the patience of living in complete dependence on the Lord and the willingness to follow him to determine my path for life. They that twist their lives around the Lord Jesus shall renew their strength. That's really kind of a modern uh, translation of that verse. We do grow weary and tired, and we need our strength to be renewed. I'm sure that um, you guys have felt that in the last few days. And I'm sure, Roger, you felt that too. And so we we want you to know that as you stay connected to Jesus, as you intertwine your life with him, he's going to continue to give you strength. Look to him. Attach yourself to him. That word renew means, really means to exchange. Now, God doesn't give us strength in the midst of our weakness. God gives us strength in exchange for our weakness. There's a difference here. And um, if you want to be strong, you have to give God your weakness. Paul said, when I'm weak, then I am strong. 
You know, in Isaiah chapter 61, it's a beautiful example of this kind of exchange process that, that needs to happen. It, it, it's, a, it's a prophetic uh, chapter about Jesus and, and what he's come to do. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, and, and he begins to kind of lay out what his ministry is going to be all about. And he gets down to verse 3, and he says, uh, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And if you want a crown of beauty this morning, you have to give God your ashes. Now, ashes are a byproduct of fire. Everything's consumed. There's nothing less. It's just a pile of dust. Ever been burned in life? Hurt, bruised, disappointed, broken dreams? I want to encourage you this morning to give your ashes to God, and he'll give you a crown of beauty. Then it goes on to say the oil of joy instead of mourning. If you want the oil of joy this morning, you have to give God your mourning, your grief, your difficulties, maybe even the self-pity that we can find ourselves in sometimes. God says, if you give me your mourning, I'll give you joy, the oil of gladness. Now, if you want the garment of praise, you have to give God your heaviness or your spirit of despair. God has a tailor-made garment of praise for you to put on. It only fits you. And he's just waiting for you to give him your heaviness. And the whole purpose is, as we read a little further in those verses, is why does God do that? It's to show and display his splendor, his glory. It says, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We all need to be strengthened. We all need our strength to be renewed. And verse 31 continues, it says, they shall soar on wings like eagles. Now, just think about the eagle a little bit this morning. What a beautiful picture, a word picture of of what God is doing. The eagle with little or no effort can soar very high into the sky. What they do is they catch the updraft of the spirit, the wind, and they lock their wings in, and they can just glide, and they can stay up there for hours. Eagles have been spotted by uh, pilots at 20,000 miles high. That's amazing. An eagle is a symbol of strength and power. But God didn't say he was going to make you a pigeon. When I lived in the Bronx and worked in Manhattan, I learned about pigeons. <laughs> Interesting. They'll come in a flock and they'll feed. But you make one loud noise and they're gone. Psh, take off all at once. They'll circle around. They'll wait till it gets quiet, then they'll come back down. And next, boom, they're off again. God didn't say he was going to make you like that. He didn't say he was going to make you like a peacock where you could just put those feathers out and everyone would be in awe and, wow, wow, look at them. Isn't that beautiful? What else does a peacock do? Can't figure it out. (laughs) How about a parrot? 
Parrots, beautiful in color. Poor eyesight. No vision. They like to stay in a perch. Comfortable. Small beak. They can only eat small seeds. Can't fly very well. They don't have that muscle development. God didn't call you to be that. He called you and I to be like the eagle. Now, I got myself in trouble years and years ago when I actually preached a message on eagles. I did the whole message on eagles. And it's a very interesting kind of uh, concept to look at. But people thought I was like over the top with eagles. So I started getting eagle statues and pictures and all kinds. I had so much stuff in my house. It's like, <laughs> and it all started out with just a message. But it's a phenomenal uh, bird to take a look at. They fly with power. They ascend. They have keen eyesight. They're, their eyesight's like binoculars. They say that an eagle can spot a rabbit from five miles away. It's amazing, isn't it? And see, what happens is they're able to get up above the situation. And you know, when you get above the situation, the perspective changes. You begin to see things differently. When we're in the midst of it and we're struggling with it and we're battling through, it's very hard to, to see anything different than what's right, right there. The difficulty, but an eagle is able to get up. And when you get up high, things look a whole lot different. And that's like being in the presence of God. Our strength is renewed like that of the eagle. And the text goes on to describe the truth that we all will run and not grow weary. We shall walk and not faint. It's not saying we'll never grow weary. All of us experience weariness, the pressures of life, physical pressures, challenges, spiritual problems that we face. We all know what that is to become weak. That's not what this text is saying. But it says that they that wait upon the Lord will not grow weary because we have his strength. I exchange my weakness for God's strength. And so you see there that as I begin to twist my life around the Lord and become connected to him, and as I begin to give him those things in my life that I'm not managing too well, and I know, you know, I know why God gave me that verse, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm the kind of person that I'm going to try to work it out. I'm going to try to make it happen, you know? And God had to let me know right off, right from the beginning, because I was kind of used to that in life. I had to do what I had to do. I had to take care of myself. I had to make it happen. If anything was going to happen, I had to. And God wanted me to understand that it wasn't about me, but it was about trusting him. And so I can exchange my weakness for his strength. See, in Isaiah 40, 29, it says he gives strength or power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. And it says, I can run and not grow weary. Now, you can't run all the time. All right? You're not designed for that. You can run sometimes. There's a, sometimes in life, there's an enthusiasm, and it just keeps you going, and, and you're right. But you can't stay at that level all the time. You're going to burn out. But it says, I can walk and not faint. 36 times in the New Testament, our Christian life is likened to a walk. It says, 
walk worthy of your calling. Walk in love. Walk as children of light. You'll spend more time walking than you will running. And God says that he'll be with us and he'll help us through that. Remember the nation of Israel when they left Egypt? God delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. And he led them, and he led them to a spot where they came, where in front of them was the Red Sea. On both sides of them were mountains, and the enemy was coming right at them. They had no way out. No way of escape. And they had to put their trust and confidence in God. Now you... And I'm sure they wondered, God, why did you bring us here? We're surrounded. We're trapped. They even wondered if, you know, that was going to be their final spot right there. And we wonder, why did God allow the Egyptians to come after them? I want to tell you why. Because God wanted to part the Red Sea. And what did it say? They walked on dry ground. And it didn't end there. Because as the enemy came after them and got in there, the water collapsed and wiped them out. You know what God was saying to them? You'll never have to fear or face that enemy again. I've destroyed them right in front of you. Chapter 15, that one verse of Exodus that says, The Lord is my strength, my song. He has become my salvation. When they reached the other other side of the Red Sea, they began to sing and worship and praise God. And they saw the strength of God and that he had become their salvation. And as I wait on him, God enables us to soar when there's a crisis, to run when there's a challenge, and to walk faithfully in the day-to-day demands of life. Matthew 8. In Matthew chapter 11, God says, Come unto me, all you are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. I don't know where you're at this morning, but maybe you need God to strengthen you. So what we have to do is we have to put our confidence and our trust in him. We have to wrap our lives and connect our lives to him. And then we need to give him the things that we're battling with, the things that we're having difficulty with, so that he can give us his strength. You know, this verse has gotten me through a lot of challenges that I've had in life, and I just want to give you one example this morning. I've never really uh, spoken about this in public, but um, some of you know a number of years ago that um, my wife and I, I had an opportunity to open a house called Prodigal House. I want to give you a little background so you understand what I'm going to say today, and I'm going to Try to say it in a way that um, I certainly don't want anyone else to look bad in all of this. So there was a house in Port Jefferson uh, on Terryville Road, and my wife and I always had a desire. We always helped troubled kids. God always brought troubled kids into our life. It was just part of who we were and what we did. But it was frustrating because there was no place to send these kids locally that was really a, a solid Christian program where they could really get help. And we had a desire to, to help kids before they reached the point where now they became mandated by the court to go into a facility. Because by then, they've really got some kind of ingrained situations in their lives. And so we prayed about it. We talked about it. And we used to drive by that house, and I used to say to my wife, you know, 
God's going to give us that house someday. She'd laugh. You're funny. <laughs> but I had a confidence that somehow we were going to end up in that house. I even told people, not about that house, but I told them about the vision. I cast the vision. And uh, so one day somebody came to me and they said, um, you know that house you've always been talking about, you know, in the ministry you want to do? Well, I think I know somebody that wants to make an investment in a ministry like that, substantial investment. They said to me, go look for a house. I didn't look for a house. You know why? Because I knew the house that we're going to end up at. About six weeks after that, this house goes up for sale. I don't know it. Bing. I drive over one day. I see the for sale sign. I said to my wife, call the reader. Let's go look at it. We got, we got, no, we got nothing to, no way to secure this house. But we're gonna look. When I looked at that house, I knew that that was the place that it was going to be. Wow, man, this is like ideal. It's like six bedrooms. It's got bathrooms in each bedroom. It's, it's got the size. You know, it's just perfect. And so I went back to this person that I spoke to. I said, I found the house. I didn't look I, you know, at any, anything else, but I, we went and looked at it, and it all started rolling. I want to tell you something. God did such amazing things securing that house. And, I mean, how do you, how do you get Michael W. Smith to come and do a free fundraising concert for this house? How do you get Rick Warren from Saddleback Church just to happen to be in the neighborhood to come and pray a prayer dedication over that house? How do you get the furnishings that you need in this house? We had $30,000 worth of brand new furniture donated to this house. I want to tell you down to the detail. We needed a dining room table, and we needed a big one. And some of you know I'm pretty good at finding stuff. I actually picked up, oh, I don't want to say, I picked up something this morning. Anyhow, <laughs> I told my wife about it. She said, I can't wait. It's still in the box, man, brand new. Praise God. Anyhow, God, we need a big table. Big table, God. And I'm driving home from the house one night. It's not open yet. I turn the corner, and there's a big table. I called my wife up. I said, I'm going to be a little bit late. I got to go back and get the trailer. I, got, I found a dining room table. She's like, is it sturdy? <laughs> I said, well, there's about 10 kids jumping on it. <laughs> I said, it's sturdy. I went back and I got my trailer. I put it in 11-foot-long table. And then the chairs that came, they were donated. They matched the table exactly. How do these things happen? There was so many things that happened. And finally, we got open. We got rolling. And then we reached a point where we began to run out of funding. We had, done, we had made a determination from the beginning that we weren't going to stay, take state funding because you just can't do the program that we wanted to do. You couldn't talk about God. You couldn't pray with the kids. You couldn't read the Bible. So we didn't want those restrictions. We went through all the legal channels to become a certified house through the state and everything. It took us 18 months to get our license for the house. We had staff, we were paying staff, we are fixing the house, we are doing things. Finally, we got open. By the time we were open, we were virtually out of surplus funds. 
And so we connected with another agency. They approached us and they said, we'll keep your staff. We had a phenomenal staff. I'm telling you, God put the staff together. It was just, we were on a roll, man. We hooked up with another agency and we had a one-year commitment. We were going to raise funds, run their program, the whole thing. It soured in six months. We all got fired on the same day. That was it. It was over. I had people come to me and said, I had pastors come to me and said, man, you must feel like God failed you. God failed me. God doesn't fail. We fail, but he doesn't. Never once shook my faith in who God was. Did it turn out the way I wanted it to turn out to? Absolutely not. Why did all that happen? I can't answer that for you. I don't know. And you know what? Maybe it's not over. Do you believe in the resurrection? Oh, I do. Who knows? I drive by that house four or five times during the week, and I still look at it and say, you know what, God? You can still do something if you wanted to. It's your ministry. It's not mine. Was I disheartened? I was disheartened the way things were handled in the end and the way that my staff and and myself were treated. But you know what? God didn't change. Because those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's the God I serve. Amen? Amen. So I don't know where you're at today, but I know one thing for sure. God is faithful. He never changes. All we got to do is keep connected to him and give him the things in our life that we can't manage ourselves and let him give us his strength. Let's pray together.